Hello and welcome to Kaleidoscope, a podcast series from the Science AAA's custom publishing office brought to you by AppCam, in which we will explore stories of scientific encounters that lead to incredible outcomes. My name is Sean Sanders. There is a proverb that states, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Although popular culture likes to venerate the lone scientist making the improbable breakthrough discovery, this doesn't reflect the true nature of the scientific endeavor today. Rather than being built by solitary scientists working late into the night, science is a highly collaborative enterprise that depends on cooperation and teamwork for mutual benefit. In this series, we're exploring how connections within the community, whether serendipitous or intentional, drive understanding and progress to new heights. How the journey to a new discovery can be as exciting and inspiring as the discovery itself, and how the personal stories and passions of the scientists create a vibrant community that makes progress happen. In this episode, we'll be talking to Dr. Shruti Naik, Assistant Professor at New York University's Grossman School of Medicine, about her thoughts on what makes for successful scientific partnerships and how she connects on multiple levels with her collaborators. Welcome, Shruti. It's lovely to be talking with you today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. What I want to talk about is collaborations, you know, how you interact with other scientists, people in your scientific community. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is if you think back on your careers thus far, what is one instance of a collaboration that was particularly meaningful or successful or fulfilling for you? Yeah, it's such an important point that's so sort of under-visualized, right? Because people often view scientists as like this lone scientist who's working alone in the dark, like pipetting away. And actually, collaborations are sort of the the backbone of how science happens. So my entire career has really been based on collaborations, but the one I want to highlight is one between me and a physician. So I'm a professor at NYU. He's also a professor at NYU, and he is the director of the NYU Langone Psoriasis Arthritis Center, Dr. Jose Scher. And the reason I want to specifically highlight this collaboration is because it's really somebody who is a basic scientist, because I do really bench work, and somebody who's in the clinic seeing patients coming together to answer questions that are relevant for human health and find ways to improve human health through better diagnosis, through better medical care, and through development of novel therapies. So it's a merger of these sort of two worlds that is very necessary. And so this is a collaboration that has really stuck out to me because I learned so much from my clinical collaborator who sees patients and then comes back and says, this is what we see in the clinic. These are really urgent problems we need to address. And then we can go back to the lab and say, okay, how do we model these problems in the laboratory and figure out exactly what the factors are that are causing these problems and how we can treat them? So do you think these cross-disciplinary or bench-to-bedside collaborations are the ones that are more meaningful or just deeper in some way? Any collaboration is going to be fruitful based on the two people that are involved, you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with what are the goals of the two people? Are those goals aligned? Do they want, you know, are they sort of working towards the same target? And do they understand the value of shared success and what that word success means to each of those individuals? And we each bring 
something unique to the table. So he's really bringing this patient perspective. I'm really bringing this sort of basic science technology perspective. And it's almost like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Neither of us could do it alone. And together, we're able to do something that is transformative. So do you think there needs to be some sort of common spark to a collaboration? And is that maybe the secret to a successful partnership? Yeah. So I think the spark is the right word. And it's not just a scientific spark or a medical spark, but it's also how you work together. And, you know, I think we often sort of don't discuss the importance of personalities and and sort of shared interests and shared sort of approaches and attitudes. And I think those matter a lot, too. I think that good working relationships are based on sort of similar philosophies and similar ways of thinking, but then they each bring in their own unique angle to it. It's sort of like when you pick your partner, you pick people based on shared interests and shared dialogue, shared cultures. Spark is is absolutely the right word. I was actually thinking about this in terms of relationships. It is very much like finding a partner. And I guess with some collaborations, you spend almost as much time with your collaborator as you do with your partner. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely true. And, you know, trust is a huge thing, right? Because you're trusting that this person is going to watch out for your best interests and bring their best self to the table and, you know, bring their best ideas to the table and share those ideas with you, just as you're doing that with them. So trust is a really big part of it. And sometimes just watching people's actions kind of tells you a lot about who they are and how they function and how that may align with how you function. So do you seek out particular types of collaborations with people or are there certain traits in a person that you look for in a when you're thinking about a collaboration with them? You know, I really work on inflammatory diseases in the skin and the gut. So thematically, it's folks that work in that space. While there are so many remarkable scientists and physicians who work in many other spaces, if somebody was to come to me and say, okay, I want to work in kidney disease, I would say, oh, I'm happy to give you tools. But, you know, I don't think that I have the intellectual framework and the, the right expertise to really collaborate. So the collaboration has to make scientific sense. And then the other thing that I always look for is generosity in a collaborator, because I think that science can't have barriers. So the way collaborations in my lab work is, I really love when people can come and go and there's this free flow of ideas and this sort of unbridled exchange, right? You're not really restricted and you're not holding yourself back in any way. You're just being honest and sort of open with, let's try this crazy thing, or this is super expensive, but that's okay because we both will figure it out together. So generosity of thought, generosity of time, generosity of effort, and generosity of resources. And I think it goes along with generosity is rigor. So that's the other facet of science where I think different people have different ways of doing science. And for me, it's really important to build a lot of rigor into any experiment you do. So really sitting down, a partner who can sit down with you and think about what are the right experiments? Is this important? And a partner who's willing to challenge you and say, look, I disagree with you. So I think generosity doesn't necessarily mean being a yes person, but it really just means bringing your whole intellectual self to the collaboration. So that's kind of what I look for. What about red flags? Anything you're cautious of? Maybe the opposite, the lack of generosity? Yeah, I think I'm always very cautious when people are not 
forthcoming or are very possessive. I'm always very cautious when people are not kind to their trainees. Uh, to me, your trainee is just a future colleague, right? And they're a present colleague too, but you're mentoring them. So, you know, that's some of the things I look for is how, you know, how do you treat the people that are in your team or that work for you? How invested are you in their careers? And again, it comes back to this idea of generosity. How much are you giving of yourself to others? It's kind of like when you're dating and somebody's mean to the waiter. Exactly. It's exactly the same thing. You got to tip well. <laughs> it's important in the sciences to build a network as you sort of develop your lab and your research. So how do you think about building that scientific community and that network so that you can find future collaborations and people with whom you can share ideas and possibly share research? Yeah, so I think what's really wonderful about science and technology has, of course, enabled this even further is that your network is not local, it's global. And so, you know, I think that you're only restricted by your own sort of desire to go as far as you want to go. And this is where I think that the extroverts have an unfair advantage because <laughs> unfortunately, you know, it really does require an effort to build a network. You have to reach out. You have to, at conferences, say, hey, let's have a coffee. And I think as you move on in your career, your paths cross very often with people. And you end up just sort of being part of this community of people that you see over and over again. And so you sort of learn to build those relationships over time. But I think initially, it's just some effort. And it could be as simple as, you know, I've really, if an email, I've really admired your work. I would love to discuss some of, you know, our ongoing projects and see if there are any opportunities for collaboration or just have a feedback or introduce myself to you and then have a conversation, right? So I think it always starts with hello and a conversation, but it does require a concerted effort on sort of your part and the part of the other person because there has to be a buy-in from both sides. Thinking about the ways that you would begin a collaboration, you talked about it all starts with hello, which I think is a, a great way to think about it. If you were talking to a younger version of yourself, what advice would you give them about how to better prepare to develop successful collaborations? I have the opposite problem where I want to like do everything and collaborate with everyone because I think there are so many interesting things to do, right? And I am like an extrovert, as, so I'm an outlier in science. And so for me, I would probably tell myself, really think about what the important collaborations are that you need to do and go after those rather than saying, oh, that's super interesting. Let's do that. And that's super interesting. Let's do that. Because I actually really have a problem saying no, because I just think, especially when somebody who's excited about their work comes to you and you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's go for it. Right. And then you realize like there's only 24 hours in a day. So that's the one thing I would say is really think about the questions you want to answer, the problems you want to solve, and select collaborations that are in line with those, because it's endless. And that's the one thing I will say is that, you know, the world of scientists is becoming more and more collaborative. I think as technology sprawls, there's no way one scientist can do it all. So we're, we're almost in an ecosystem that is interdependent. And it's become interwoven into our culture to collaborate. But knowing when, you know, you don't have the bandwidth and you cannot give the collaboration your all because you're spread out too thin, I think is really important. 
Now, that's a great point. And so how do you think about which collaborations you want to enter into and which ones are, for lack of a better word, worthwhile or worth the effort? Yeah, like the value of an interaction, right? In complete business terms. Like if this was a Harvard Business Review, it would be like, what's your return on investment? So this is really silly, but I think about, would it be fun? Like just, do I want to hang out with this person? Do I want to talk to this person? Am I excited about this scientific project, right? And I, and that's probably not the most business-minded way to think about it, about value added. But the truth is, my time is my most limited resource. And I want to spend my time really engaging with people that are excited. So I always say, is it fun? Again, is it thematically in line with the questions I want to answer? Because that's the biggest thing. And sometimes they're not, but there are things that are really fun and interesting and eventually end up bringing it back to where you want to go. And then do I have time? Like physically, do I have time? Because I think you're, you know, overcommitting and not showing up for things is also not a good look. So those are the sort of three check marks that I hit. I feel like this is the Marie Kondo version. Does it spark joy? Yeah, exactly. Like it needs to, I, you know what? That's right. The first criteria is, does it spark joy? Like, do I want to actually talk to this person and spend time with this person? Because this is a voluntary interaction that you're engaging in. You know, the one thing I will say is that there's sometimes when you have to collaborate with someone, not because you're choosing to, but because you're mandated to institutionally. And that's not necessarily a scientific collaboration, but maybe on a project. And then there are times when you have to have those interactions and with people that you may not select working with. One, I try to minimize those types of collaborations. I really, one of the advantages of being a scientist is you can choose who you work with. And it sounds a little bratty because, because I think most other professions don't have that luxury, but we do. But in the case where you can't choose who you work with, then it's really a matter of defining the goal and achieving the goal as a team in a professional manner. Collaborations bring you to a space where you wouldn't go otherwise. And whether it's in science or whether it's in, you know, scientific outreach or, you know, like people who consult, people who are involved in policy, people who are involved, you know, any facet, I think they bring you into uh, an arena that you may not know about, be comfortable in. And your collaborator is almost like, you know, your guide, your Sacagawea in this space. And you're their guide in a different space you're holding their hand and they're holding your hand. So this is where it comes back to like, you want somebody who's generous, who you trust, who is giving, and you want to do the same. Shruti, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for your time and for telling us about your experiences and your fascinating collaborations. Thank you so much for having me. This conversation can be considered somewhat of a collaboration in, in thinking about collaborations, right? So thank you for having me and thank you for the podcast. Our thanks to AppCam for supporting this podcast. AppCam believes that progress happens together through the creation of a connected and supportive scientific community. To learn more about how you can progress with AppCam, go to appcam.me slash together. I'm Sean Sanders. Thank you for listening.